Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap of the Thunder's regular season opener. Just a play-by-play of that one, the big takeaways, and the rotational controversy that we saw in the game. And of course, I'm going to give you guys a very good deal from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that one. But just setting the stage for this game, I think you got to realize, you know, the Thunder, they go in with four new rookies. When you check the total, there's like seven new guys on roster. And for the Utah Jazz, you know, they're going back for playoff aspirations. They still have Donovan Mitchell. They have Rudy Gobert. There's really no significant injuries on either side. So this is a game where, you know, you kind of go in, you're trying to obviously feel each other out because it is the first contest. Uh, But especially on the Thunder side, there is a lot that needed to be hammered out. And that's what they tried doing in this game. But you enter in, and Mark Dagnall puts Josh Giddy right into the starting unit. This is something that was not really a controversy. Uh, I think when you look at maybe the preseason, we didn't know if Josh Giddy was going to be that day one starter. He got to play over Teo, and he dominated in the preseason. He was easily the best player on the team. So he got to start at the shooting guard position. Still have SGA, Lou Dortz at your three. Darius Baisley's at the four, and Derek Favors gets called up to the starting role at the five. And Mark Dagnall's talked about it before. He kind of sees the five spot as maybe a uh, revolving door of some sorts where, you know, Isaiah Roby might be starting one night. Jeremiah Robinson Earl could be there. And then there's Derek Favors. You look at the matchup. Rudy Gobert is a big guy, seven foot two, defensive player of the year, pretty much every single season um, now in recent memory. So yeah, you got to get your biggest opponent out there. That's Derek Favors. So he made the right call there. Um, but you go out and OKC wasn't actually bad to start things. They got the first basket and it came from none other than SGA. He starts it out with a drive, kind of just flashing back to what we saw all of last season, led the league in drives went off a high ball screen from Derek Favors, and it was excellent. So you get the 2-0 lead, and then Utah, they just get right back at it. They score nine consecutive points, six of which are just chip shots right around the basket. I think Rudy Gobert hit two of those, might have got to the line as well, and then just like a driving layup. So the big issue has been the paint. You don't want to give up a lot of points. They get it in bunches right there, so you're automatically down seven points. And then OKC, they start getting back at it. They did not get it from three, though. Kind of matched what Utah was doing, where they were just looking to get shots right around the cup. They had layups from three different guys in a pretty short span. You had it from Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, and Josh Giddy, And all of them are pretty much just get right around your defender, scoop and score, like drive right layup. So nothing crazy. I think Baisley, you know, he kind of reminisced some of his highlights from last season. Might have put like a Euro on it. Um, But yeah, they just needed points. They got it. In that span, though, you had the Jazz still killing them in the paint. So they were up 13 to 8 by the first time out. And the mid portion of this frame, you finally got to see Josh Giddy. He wasn't the ball handler. SGA's the guy taking it in half court. You get Giddy out there. First play in ISO, he just takes it right at the top of the key. Royce O'Neal's on him. And Royce O'Neal, he's a pretty damn good defender, not just on perimeter defense, but also interior defense. He's not the biggest guy, but he's going to get the job done. Anyways, just gets a blow by on him. 
And then he has a situation where it's really just a dump off pass to Derek Favors. You know, you have Rudy Gobert right under the basket. You're not going to take a shot on Rudy Gobert. So he gets Gobert off of him, makes a beautiful pass to Derek Favors, but he blows the layup. And that was kind of just a story from that one. But yeah, blows it. They were still able to get back on another possession uh, into single digits. Lou Dort hits a three to get there, but they pretty much instantly got cut off. So there was a timeout that was called, and then you get the first real substitution from Mark Dagnalt. So you had Diddy take that half-court play. There was still SGA in the rotation. He makes his first wave of bench rotations putting Derek Favors out for Isaiah Roby, which, you know, makes some sense. We saw a lot of games where Roby was the guy at the starting five. And then for the second substitution, they took Josh Giddy out, plug him in with their other first round pick and Trey Mann, and he comes in before Teo and Ty Jerome. And for the case of Isaiah Roby, it makes some sense, but you still have Alexei Pokashevsky on that bench. So you didn't have Poku, didn't have Teo, didn't have Ty, they wanted to make a new spin on things, and they go right in there. Utah, on the other hand, they have a pretty loaded bench. They have Hassan Whiteside on the team now. Jordan Clarkson, who really could be on the starting unit. He is a lethal scorer. He goes in, and they just start cashing in some shots. Jordan Clarkson's really the main guy here, but they took an 8-0 run late, got a double-digit lead, Ended up falling to a nine-point advantage. They're up 27 to 18 at the end of the first 12, but they still had a pretty good uh, grasp on things, I guess you could say. So you get the new rookies in, had a bit of a case of the jitters there. So you get Clarkson in. As we know, he's a walking bucket. That's really what kind of propelled them moving on. But in the second quarter, it was much the same. You know, the Thunder's second quarter bench unit was ridiculous last year. The Breakfast Club, you have Roby, you have Teo, you have Kenrich Williams in there sometimes. They would always get a run out of nothing. Not happening in this game. Utah got a 15-point lead a minute into play. Joe Ingles just goes right out, hits two straight top-of-the-key triples. And then the Thunder were able to knock it down a little bit with a Kenrich Williams layup. You had Teo, who did not play in the first quarter. He finally got in for the second quarter, led the team in minutes last season. Uh, I think that's worth noting. But he goes in there, and he found a really good basket, literally like four feet out. So he kind of gets in, not really a post play, but he drives right, kind of gets stalled out right around the block. And then he kind of goes into a little bit of a post stance, gets right out of it, scoop and score layup. I was really impressed by that one. Um, but, you know, it really didn't do much besides the personal accolades because you had the Jazz's tandem come back out. Jordan Clarkson was killing it. Rudy Gobert, seven foot two. We know the story with him. They score seven consecutive points, almost get it to 20. Uh, but then the Thunder, they kind of got back into things. But it wasn't like they were making it dangerous. It was a 15 to 19 point lead. Really anything in that ballpark range is what you were looking at for the majority of of that second quarter the four minute mark though there was some interesting stuff that kind of came up SGA got back in the game he had a runner had a three-point shot to get it to a baker's dozen uh, and they kept that kind of uh deficit there so it was 54 to 42 at halftime which all things considered was pretty good that was a great outcome for the thunder actually because they really weren't making shots they put a major emphasis on that three-point shot but they couldn't make any. They shot two 
of 16 to start the game out. That was their halftime total from beyond the arc. And for the Jazz, I mean, it was much the same. Like, it wasn't like an offensive firework show, right? Like, 2 of 16, that's what? Like, 12.5%? And for the Jazz, too, I mean, they shot better than 12.5%, which anybody should be doing. They barely shot above 20%, though. They went 22.7% from 3 went 5 of 22, so they were looking for a large portion of buckets from there, but even with them playing pretty bad, they had a lifeline thrown to them, because you have the positional battles that are just going to go in Utah's favor every single day of the week, you have Rudy Gobert there, and you have Derek Favors in front of you, and Favors, it wasn't like he played the full course meal, he wasn't playing 24 minutes, you kind of cut it up with Roby, and with Roby out there, you have Hassan Whiteside, it just wasn't good all around, and Rudy Gobert, he had a commanding presence. He had 13 points and 13 rebounds in 16 minutes for the half. And then for other guys like a Donovan Mitchell, he didn't even need to show up for the double-digit advantage. He did a pretty bad job, and a lot of the credit goes to Lou Dort here. He went 1 of 6 in the first half, only had 2 points, but like I said... They didn't need Donovan Mitchell to be successful in the half. They just needed to go to the paint. There was not a lot of interior defense there, and they were just reaping the uh, rewards the entire time. So you go into that second half, the Thunder needed to sure up there, and they had a good promising first play defensively. The Jazz, they knew exactly where to hit the Thunder. Just drive right in, penetration basket, get two quick points, and just rinse and repeat. They go out there, do that. Derek Favors has a really good chase down block. And then on the other side, SGA gets a really good look around the basket. Wide open layup, damn near. He just overshoots it. Hits the backboard, doesn't even graze the rim, and it goes the other way for the Utah Jazz. And it looked like the Thunder might have been able to get into the single digits, even though they had that stinger of uh, of a play. But I mean, the Jazz, they weren't making shots either. So you kind of just have this standstill for the first couple of minutes where you know, a genuine run from the Thunder could have made this a serious game again, but the door got shut out, and there were a lot of rotational mishaps that came in for the early parts of that third, so lots of switching on the, under the basket when, you know, they shouldn't have been, or there should have been, but people kind of just got flat-footed, and now you have a guy wide open in the mid-range, or just someone swinging out to the corner, going inside, it didn't matter. The Jazz had 11 points to open things while the Thunder only had two. So they finally got up 20 points. And then you go up the Thunder. They're looking for something. They get a little glimpse of it. Darius Baisley had two wide open paths to the basket. We'll say the first one straight up just a broken down play. Like, um, I think the ball, like there was like a deflection. I think it was Giddy or something. Deflected pass. Ball rolls right to the fingertips of Darius Baisley. He just has to go up there, elevate, and jam. And then on the second play, pretty impressive. I'd say it was uh, pretty cool like the first one, but you know, this is one where he takes it himself, slashes, had a, had a wide open lane um, to get there. But yeah, you think that might get a little bit of something going for the team. It did not. You had Donovan Mitchell that you had to worry about. And you had Clarkson being the main guy uh, in the backcourt. But yeah, once Mitchell started hitting buckets, it was hard to stop that team. So he started hitting shot after shot. Out of the Jazz's first 20 points, 12 of them were credited to Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, you didn't even have to look at guys like Gobert. So the Jazz got a 25-point lead at that point. And that's where you just start going for any little thing cling to any positive 
piece of this game and just try to ride on it. But there were not a lot of positives in the third quarter. So Utah's lead got down to maybe like 20 at its worst, but it wasn't really going anywhere. So they had a 20 point lead going into the fourth quarter. It was 83 to 63. And that's not a very high scoring game. I mean, for the Jazz, 83 points by the third quarter, that's pretty legit. 63 points on the other hand with just 12 minutes remaining you might want to do a little bit better but at least defensively you know it wasn't like a an Indiana Pacers game from last year where they're looking at 100 by the time the third quarter ends but anyways they go into this fourth quarter and the Thunder were not looking to change the rotation and whenever I was first watching it I wasn't happy about it I wanted the Thunder to just make you know, just like clean house almost and put in guys like Trey Mann, put in Vic Credci, just the people on the bottom of the rotation, give him a shot in this game. But he didn't do that. Mark Dagnall elected to keep SGA in, wanted to see more of Josh Giddy. Even guys like Derek Favors and such were out there. And you can't really knock it. The Jazz were doing pretty much the exact same thing. And it's the first game. So you're not really looking at fatigue. You just want to see a full on ex- inspection of your roster. And it makes sense to start out from the top because those are the guys that you know are going to be getting consistent minutes within the team. But Jeremiah Robinson Earl was one of the guys who kind of crept in and he had a very impactful first few minutes in the fourth quarter. Hit two consecutive face-up threes, get him six points in a span of a minute. Darius Baisley also hit one too. So they got the lead down to 15, which was pretty impressive given the circumstances like three, four minutes ago in the game but Utah they got back in it had to go right to the paint exactly where things were working in the first half get it back up to 25 points and that's when the Thunder kind of threw in the towel that's when Mark Dagnalt made that full-on sweep took out guys like Josh Giddy, took out Jeremiah Robinson Earl and such Got Vic Credci his first minute, uh, which I was super pumped about you know if you guys have been listening to the pod Vic Credci has been someone I've continuously talked about like when he was at a home game against the Raptors I had to bring him up because he's just such an interesting character and such an interesting part of this team Uh, but we have not gotten a lot of film off of him because of the torn ACL injury last September so six foot eight guard he wasn't really used as a guard he got the ball for maybe two or three seconds in his three minutes because he gets it and I actually think Giddy was in this final rotation, so I take it back, but he gets it, and he immediately throws it off to Josh Giddy so he can set up in the half court, and that was about the only time Giddy got to orchestrate without SGA, by the way, but you had him, had Trey Mann out there as well, um, but Vid Crutchy was just a corner sitter, same with most of the guys, you kind of just saw the clock wind down to its full completion, there was a really good Trey Mann step back in there though, and Isaiah Roby, uh, if you guys remember like those cockback standing dunks or driving dunks he'd pulled off, he had one of those to close the game, which was pretty exciting. But, you know, uh, too bad those dunks aren't worth like 30 points because uh, they ended up losing this game by 21, 107 to 86. Utah gets their victory for the Thunder. They go out, they're 0-1, move on to play the Houston Rockets on Friday night. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the story of this game. They couldn't really keep in. After that 2-0 lead, it was just not really all downhill, but they dug themselves in a hole, and even with those little punches that they threw, none of them were lasting enough to actually make some damage to the Utah Jazz. So I'm going to give you guys the stat lines from the teams, both sides, and then my evaluation of the rotation 
in a second. But first, I want to let you guys know about the offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Here's all you have to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving on into the overall palette we got from this game. There's a lot, not just from the box score side, but also when you dig into the analytics, you know, those advanced stats, just what we saw on the court. There's a lot of things that you can take away from this one game. And it's a small sample. I'll say that. I'll say that multiple times during um, the course of however long I'm talking about it. Uh, But yeah, this was a game where there were not a lot of major, major moments for the team. For the Thunder, you know, they really didn't have much cohesion. This was a game where you could chalk it up as first game jitters. That's what I'm going to say because it was opening day. But they didn't even shoot 40% from the field. They went 37.4%, went 34 of 91. And from three, they could not hit anything. And that was the crucial, crucial part that I'll talk about. But yeah, you needed to be able to hit threes in this game to beat Utah. They shot 35 threes, only hit seven of them. That's only 20% from there. So you could do better just putting in random bubble answers on one of those exams. You could probably get a 20%. Not very good to be shooting it. (laughs) So yeah, you did not want to see those kinds of splits from the team. For Utah, they also weren't that good. They shot 43% from the floor. And they also didn't even shoot 30% from three. Went 29.8%. But it did not matter. Just the overarching story of this game was just how easy it was to attack the basket. They shot 25 of 38 in the paint. And all you had to do to really just see this in action was looking at Rudy Gobert's stat line. He goes out there, plays 29 minutes, gets 16 points and 21 rebounds just at the snap of a finger and then it didn't help because they had some other guys who maybe weren't dominant from three but they were still hitting in the mid-range but also getting inside for penetration baskets Bojan Bogdanovich led the team he had 22 points going 10 of 17 and you had the guards Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell they were still scoring whenever they felt like it Clarkson at 18 Donovan Mitchell had 16 points so there was a lot to be spread around for the Jazz team and for the Thunder you know they kind of picked and choosed who was scoring out there a lot of plays where it was just one or two guys have it the entire time you take a shot with like two seconds left so it was kind of hard to pick Uh, in terms of, 
you know, who was taking the good shots, who was taking the bad ones. He was just kind of weird from the play perspective. But SGA, he still led this team in points. He had 18 on the game, had four rebounds, and had two assists. And I'll say this, I think SGA did an all right job when it came to penetrating. We had that opening drive where he gets the high ball screen scores. That's something we're accustomed to. That's something that we know works. Derek Favors, you know, that was the main guy you were looking at for those mid-range pick and pops. He wasn't hitting them enough. That's going to kill you. That's going to get you double teams pretty much immediately off that screen. Why hedge when you can just switch on him, bring all that pressure? There was not many shots from Favors, like I said. So you could actually do that. But also, because you're shooting 20% from three, why do the people need to cover the corner sitters? You know, play risky. Go help. If they kick it out to the corner, then you start going cat and mouse. Let's rotate to the wing, get someone going to the corner, and you just keep going right at it. So really, everything was cut off for SGA in this game. And I think all things considered, he did a pretty good job because he shot six of 10 on twos the problem is once he stepped out from three just like everybody else he was not hitting his shots he went one of seven there and these were shots that were both on the ball but also off ball catch and shoot threes so it did stink it stung to see him take that kind of hit one of seven that's easily going to skyrocket in the next coming days and weeks. Same goes with everybody. But yeah, he just wasn't feeling it from downtown and that hurt. I think the big deal was though that his passing was still pretty strong. But you look at it, two assists on the game. I mean, the looks were not always there for him. And I'm not going to lie. There were some plays where he kind of just stalled things out and there was not a real good pass. There wasn't an, uh, an open look. I guess you could say. So maybe some ISO play coming from him. I still think this was a solid debut for him. He hasn't played in a while. Played in preseason, but didn't get the same run as he did in this one, of course. I'm hoping for a bigger game against Houston. I think he has it in him. Have a better matchup going against KPJ, Jalen Green, and potentially John Wall as well. So I'm intrigued by what that will look like. Um, Yeah, I I can't really take any conclusions from his game though. And for Darius Baisley, he played pretty much the leading role in terms of minutes. SGA had 31, so did Darius Baisley, and he had 15 points and seven rebounds. This is kind of the stat line that we saw last season. He was kind of closer to 14 and seven, uh, but he took a lot of shots in this game. SGA was the leader with 17. Baisley was in second place. He shot 14 times, hit only five of them. And for, you know, for Bays, it was kind of just like SGA, where you look at the breakdown of shots, his shot chart on twos was not that bad. He shot four of seven on twos. Two of those were just wide open jams. Uh, one of them was a pretty crafty layup, and I'm assuming the other one was also just a layup, but the three was not there. One of seven, a lot of it was just catch and shoot for him, and Bays needs to figure it out. We've talked about it. He, he just has to, and... I'm hoping that he can get over this, um, and this is an overreaction, of course. Every, SGA shot the same as Bays did, so you can't really draw anything out of it, but I think the positive is at least Baisley was looking to take those three-point shots, not just forcing it on drives. He did take a lot of shots, though, all things considered, so no hesitation. That's a good thing, but maybe, just maybe restricted a little bit 
If you have a wide open three, though, I'd understand why you would take it. The Jazz were literally actively letting them play shoot around at some portions of this game, and they were letting Baisley do that, as well as really just everybody on the team because they couldn't drive in and... (laughs) You know, they were shooting 20% from three. Play odds, it worked in Utah's favor. But moving beyond Baisley, I want to talk about Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And he was the secret gem from this game. You were thinking Josh Giddy might be the guy who drums out a triple-double. Trey Mann might go out there. Jeremiah Robinson Earl led all rookies in scoring for this game. He had 10 points, which doesn't seem huge on paper. And this is a cherry-pick stat I got from Bally Sports. But with the 10 points, he's third in Thunder history for rookie debuts. DJ White is number one at 14. So it's very good company to be at. We know DJ White turned into a really good player. Um, Obviously, I'm kidding. But yeah, I mean, at least he was on the board. He was above some pretty good names. I think Harden was like on the list with just five. So pretty young franchise. So you can make it pretty easy. Uh, And of course, we were contending for the for the latter half of the the decade, right? So it'd be hard to make it. But yeah, he got minutes, not a lot of minutes, but he definitely capitalized off of those. So he had some bad preseason games where he couldn't hit threes. I know he shot two of eight in one of them. I think it was against Denver, but he goes out here, was really consistent. Might've been the most consistent player on this team, even though he hardly shot. He shot four of six, but the big thing was those two top of the key triples. Went two of three there to get a lot of those points in. Didn't really get to see much else of his game. I mean, he was really just out there to strictly be a shooter and that he was. So I'm going to give him an A plus grade off of this game. Didn't see enough uh, to really check out playmaking, rebounding, and all that stuff, but it doesn't really matter. It was just nice seeing him taking shots, having the confidence, and getting some success for the Thunder team during the game. And for Trey Mann, too, he was right behind Jeremiah Robinson Earl in terms of all-time list, so he's either fourth or fifth now. Might be some sort of tie, but he had nine points in 15 minutes, which, uh, which is pretty impressive. I, I'm going to say that. And I really enjoyed Trey Mann's performance. This was the best we've seen Trey Mann to this point. In the preseason, he wasn't taking threes. He was slashing into bigs, missing layups. They were contested, and I really enjoyed seeing him kind of test those boundaries, but he had wide open threes he would pass up on. And in the preseason, he kind of got more accustomed to taking threes. I'll say in the final Denver game, he was taking step back threes, took maybe two or three. In this game, he was actively looking to take threes, maybe even more so than the runners and floaters that we've seen him take a lot. So he went four of seven in the game, one of two from distance, but you can't really take, you can't take into account the mid-range step backs he was taking. So he probably attempted the step back like four or five times in this game. And he would just start driving. He'd get around the free throw line and just pause with the basketball. He'd have a guy right behind him. He'd freeze his defender up, get a wide open look out of it. He could kick out. He could take it. I was just super impressed by what Trey Mann was doing with the basketball. We know his handling is top tier for his draft class. Same goes with the step back. He was able to rattle in one of those step backs. And then also just the quickness of his handle was huge. You didn't really get to see him um, passing it as much granted he was playing 15 minutes and he also was kind of an off-ball piece next to SGA and Giddy really didn't matter which one was there he was the second maybe even tertiary option so 
I really thought Trey Mann was impressive, uh, just like Jeremiah Robinson Earl was. And for Josh Giddy, he didn't have a lot of points, only had four points, went two of seven to get there. Uh, did have 10 rebounds, though, and that was the team high. Dude's a point guard leading, and you know, he's 6'8". Like, that's going to put him in a front court situation just based on the height of everybody on this roster. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was crashing the boards, which you love to see. Didn't see him pass uh, as much as maybe we would have liked to see in this contest. He had three assists. He did create a lot of wide open looks, just not a lot of shots going in for him. I really enjoyed the isolation he had on Royce O'Neal, though. Didn't top it off with the basket because he did dish it off to Derek Favors. Just not enough reps from him as a playmaker. He was playing more of an off-ball role in this game, but even despite that, he wasn't taking threes. He was one of the only guys that did not attempt a three. In fact, the only other dude who didn't take a three was Vit Kredci, and he played three minutes. Josh Giddy played 29, so that kind of gives you a better perspective on things. Everyone was just taking threes when they had the chance. Josh Giddy was not. He was looking to drive inside, maybe draw in somebody, but just like the case with SGA, drive inside. They'll happily play some help defense. They'll they'll latch on you like a magnet. Kick it out to the corner. We want to see if someone can hit a three, and no one really could. So it was tough to kind of see how they were doing in the passing department, but um, yeah, uh, that, that was the main thing. And then for guys like Lou Dort, he is the hallmark guy when it comes to catch and shoot pieces. He shot 63% from distance in the preseason, and it wasn't like he was hardly taking threes. He was taking threes all the time. He looked like a monster, and he had a pretty good first quarter. He had uh, what we've kind of become used to, which is where he drives in a couple times, hits a you know straightaway three, and you got to start guarding him because he could explode for double digits in the first eight minutes of play. He gets those seven points, and there's just nothing else. Not a word. Goes two of ten to get those seven points, and when you look at the three-point shot, he went one of six, so everybody was just freezing cold from downtown, contested or not, was just not falling in for him, and then with Derek Favors too, he didn't really have a lot of pressure on him in the mid-range, he shot two of nine, I think both of those, actually one might have been, uh, been off of a jumper, but just not a lot going in for him either, and then for the other players, Isaiah Roby, I thought did alright, he had eight points and six rebounds, just a really springy player. He might be the most athletic on this team. I might have to maybe look through one more time, but I'll definitely tell you, based off of last year's clips, he might have been the best when it came to just verticality. Baisley can soar up there, but you don't get it near uh, as much as an Isaiah Roby would. He had two pretty good dunks. He always knows kind of where he has to be in space. Spacing was an issue in this game, but I will say Isaiah Roby was one of the lone guys that I actually, uh, actually enjoyed in that department. Kenrich Williams went out there, had seven points in 15 minutes. Thought he did all right. Had guys like Teo uh, and Poku out there as well. Didn't really have a lot of points, uh, and a lot of that has to do with just how they were being utilized and what the rotations looked like in this game. And that's kind of what, uh, what I want to talk about because you get the first game out of the way those are jitters, right? But there were still some issues here, and they're going to be issues that we knew uh, going into this thing were going to be present, but how do you address them? And the big ones in the rotational department, I think offensively, there wasn't enough movement, and that's something that will get fixed. You look at what this team looks like, 
They have Giddy, who's 6'8". SGA six foot six. Poku seven feet tall. Credchi, if he emerges, he's six foot eight. There's a lot of really huge playmakers, and they're gonna be driving inside, trying to make some passes. Lots of cuts should be there. But there were zero cuts at all. And maybe it was because the Jazz were just giving up open looks. And Dagnalt said, you know what? We're gonna be shooting until we find success. And it didn't come, but Maybe that was the motto. I wasn't out there. I didn't hear it. I didn't hear anything off of interviews, but they were taking the wide open threes when they were there. They weren't trying to force much around the basket. And because of that, you had a clogged up paint. You couldn't really do backdoor cuts. There was just not enough room to create it. They probably should have tried it, maybe set some screens, get some cuts going in there but kind of non-existent. They had eight total cuts during this game. Seven of those were contested. One of those was just a wide open cut, really smart play. I think Giddy was navigating around like the free throw line and you had a wide open paint. Derek Favors goes from the left wing, slices right to the basket, gets a step on his man and finishes around the le- um around the lane, in the lane to get two points, but it was just cut off. So nothing was there it was more or less just like a half court isolation five out um, where you didn't really reap many rewards of the wide open shots there and it's going to be a necessity for them to cut and I think the big reason why maybe they couldn't was the three like I talked about but moving on against Houston you gotta see more than eight cuts that was what was so good about the preseason games. You had Poku throwing behind the back passes, cutting inside a second later. Other players were still going in for back doors. Even last season, that, that was one of the most enjoyable parts about this team. Just seeing a lot of the cuts, maybe whenever SGA goes inside, you got to find someone behind you. He can find a dump off pass and you can find a lot of sparks flying around because it's going to give you a good end result. Just not many end results to take apart from them cutting inside though in the opener and then defensively too the paint just open and this is something that's not really uh you can't really tackle it head on right now because they just don't have the pieces for it there's talks about deandre ayton if he's unhappy could the thunder make a god offer uh godfather deal you know with all these picks maybe they could you know maybe with some other centers around the league Marvin Bagley Jr. looks to be unhappy could you get him and try to make him kind of a rehab project before his rookie contract expires you could try it Um, I think they're probably going to play for the draft though they don't have a very sturdy center rotation though right now and that got exploited tonight by Rudy Gobert and with Rudy Gobert you know he's one of the top five best centers in the NBA I would say defensively he's got to be in the top three offensively he's not stretching it out but you know when you're going straight back to basket mode yeah Rudy Gobert is going to punish you and Derek Favors he's all right but he's not going to hold up for a full course of 30 plus minutes and Isaiah Roby Jeremiah Robinson Earl just all of them they couldn't handle him and then for Hassan Whiteside too kind of the same thing where he's able to go in the post kind of muscle you around find post shots five feet out and just start dominating I gave you guys the example they were 25 of 38 in the paint and that could be something that you see a lot where points in the paint just goes in their favor every time because the Thunder just don't have that size they can try to make it up with athleticism, but it's really just situational based on how the center plays. You know, if they're going brute force mode, it's probably not going to do 
them justice trying to spring up use a six foot eight Isaiah Roby they'd want a Derek Favors out there but if Favors isn't operating to his fullest you know you get into these spurts uh, like what we had um, Wednesday night but also on top of it this is something that I think is going to get fixed there was a lot of confusion when it came to switching I talked about it in the 11-2 run that really got the Jazz on track for the win you just see People, you know, whether it was a baseline cut, people setting the screens for each other, they get frozen up. Two guys are out of position. That's going to give you a wide open look easily. But then it's just kind of that chain reaction where open bucket after open bucket starts spewing out for the Jazz. And they need to fix it. I think they get a clear rain check. They probably get a rain check for this entire game, truthfully, because it is just one game. Really, all I say here are going to be straight overreactions. But, you know, it, it wasn't good. And what we saw, and these guys are so young, they're easily the youngest team in the NBA, you have, I guess you have SGA as that veteran leader, Lou Dort's a great defender, we saw that, Baisley, I mean, he wasn't prestigious in this game, but you get guys in like Giddy and Jeremiah Robinson Erlin, those were the guys that were kind of confused a little bit, and it was them, and then it kind of just trickled down to some others. So I think they'll get it figured out. That's something that Dagnall will be preaching and just hammering down with them um, for Thursday's practice. And I think the test against Houston should be pretty good since the Houston Rockets got blown out of water. Like, it was even worse than the 21-point loss. So that's where you get to see the Thunder really in its truest colors right now. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what you see from the team perspective. Once you start looking individually at players and looking at the minutes, Darius Baisley is the number one guy that sticks out to me. He had the highest usage rate on this team. And, you know, you could look at usage rate, say whatever. That's fine. Look at the minutes too. He played 31 minutes in this game. That was really the exact same uh, output as what you got from SGA. That is star caliber numbers for this team. And he goes out there and ousts SGA in terms of total usage. And it's the narrowest of margins. Like it's literally a tenth of a percent. Bayes had 23.9% while SGA had 23.8%. But Bayes was just out there taking it Anytime he had that three, when he was driving inside, he would take it too. And look, we know athletically that Baisley is at an NBA level. He has a decent handle too, but you got to get the full package out there for him to get starting minutes and for him to be consistent. That's got to be his number one goal. If he's not consistent, are you going to try to play him in a playoff series? I don't know. And they're not at that point right now. They're looking to build and that's why it's okay to see some slip ups from Darius Baisley. But he's got to be able to turn the corner this year. And he has to do it by getting the three going. And maybe not having as big of a role when it comes to penetrating. Because he took away a lot of reps from some of these other guys. uh, And it's not a bad thing. But is he going to get that same usage on the daily? Probably not. I don't see it happening. And if that's the case, it probably shouldn't be. I think Josh Giddy should be second in usage. He should be the secondary ball handler. He really wasn't the secondary ball handler, though. It was either SGA taking it or SGA kicking it out to Bays. He'd take a shot or he'd try to make something slashing inside. And he did have 15 points. Like, you got to credit him for it. He was getting fouls. But, you know, you want to see the love spread out a bit more moving on into next game. So he has to make some sort of stride, whether it's from three, uh, consistency wise, it has to be there, or maybe just lower it down a bit in reps. But he did play 31 minutes, so you kind of get some inflated numbers there. 
For Josh Giddy, you know, he was the guy who kind of took a hit with Darius Baisley, but he also took a hit in terms of rotations. Played with SGA almost the entire length of this game, and that, that's not a bad thing. You have to play Josh Giddy and SGA in those closing minutes. That's your starting unit. You have to make sure they work in harmony with each other, but you didn't get to see any real half-court offense with Josh Giddy outside of a couple maybe outliers in this game. You would see Josh Giddy just perched at the corner or at the wing waiting for shots and like I said they really didn't just uh, go his way at all so it's not ideal to see him in the corner I think we'll see in the next couple of days the rotations seriously shift though and honestly the tip of the icebergs kind of with Josh Kitty. he's not the number one concern because he is going to be playing a lot of minutes he's going to be playing a lot of minutes with SGA too you need to give him minutes where he is out there being the number one ball handler you want to see him taking it, even if SGA is off the ball. And you don't want to put him off the ball because that's where he is at his best. But you do need to see SGA or Giddy's growth in terms of finding the basket because in the few times he was driving inside, he did a pretty good job. Just got it slashed a lot. And, you know, he kind of got overshadowed by Darius Baisley in terms of who was getting a lot of those reps. Biggest dude who did not get reps. He got hurt a lot by Darius Baisley in this game, and it's kind of a head-scratcher given what he did in Thursday's preseason end cap. Alexei Pokashevsky only played 15 minutes, and Alexei Pokashevsky is just the definition of hot and cold. You're going to get a game where, just like on Thursday, he gets 22-8, and and he almost single-handedly brings you back into a game. But in the other three games... He was really just a non-factor or he was a detriment at some points. There was so much going on. There weren't there was not a lot of success from this game. I think you put Alexei Pokashevsky in for more than 15 minutes. You let him play a lot, actually, because guess what? If the team as a whole is shooting 50% from three, Poku's the guy who's shooting one of eight, you know, and if the Thunder are shooting 20% like it is in this game, Poku's the guy who is a sniper and you have to triple team him, right? Like that's just how he plays. He is either up or down. This was the perfect situation for him. Mark Dagnall did not give him the minutes and I understand why because there's so many young guys on this team. But you saw him as a six-man in the preseason. It did not carry over into this game. So it did stink to see that. And because of it, you didn't get any reps. You couldn't take anything away from Alexei Pokashevsky's sophomore debut. Only took two shots in the game. Went 0 of 2 from 3, 0 of 2 from the foul line. But he had three rebounds and three assists in there. So that's one little moment where it's like, hey, maybe there was something in this game. But... We didn't see enough from him. He had three of 19 assists, by the way. I didn't mention it, but you got to get 20 assists. And they did not get there. So that was not great to see Poku just hardly playing because you looked at this team. Before we got into the regular season, who's one of the top three, top four guys in terms of potential? Alexei Pokashevsky is. And you are trying to grow. You're trying to take a lot of learning curves. You're trying to have those teaching moments. You got to give more than 15 minutes to a guy like Alexei Pokashevsky. And you got to give a lot more minutes to some of these guards as well. Trey Mann was the first dude off the bench. And I'm not going to knock that. I think when you kind of look at this team, 
you're, you know, I actually, I guess draft philosophy, that's where I'd start out. Trey Mann was a pretty good pick. I like that pick because he fills in just like SGA does, just like Teo and Ty do. He's a six foot five combo guard who's probably a better ball handler than both Ty and Teo, both from just a handling perspective, but also speed wise. This dude is very nimble. So he can create things out of nothing. I talked about his step back. He was great when it came to that. And I'm really impressed um, by what he did in 15 minutes. But you put him in there, you're already giving SGA 32 minutes and you're giving, what is it? Josh Giddy 29. So you're going to give yourself a, a lot there. 15 minutes. It's not a lot, but you're taking it away from somebody. And you have Teo and you have Ty Jerome, who are both deserving of minutes. Teo led the team in minutes last year. He was good, averaged 10.1 a game, had a very good passing display as well. He played really the six-man role here. He did, he wasn't the first one out, but he played 21 minutes, went one of six here. He, he did an all right job passing, but the three-point shot was not going, and he went 0 of three. But you put Teo out for 21, you put Trey Mann in for 15, that's 36 minutes plus what you have with SGA and Josh Giddy. you don't have enough minutes for everybody. And you put Vid Crudgy out there, which I thought was a good move, maybe give him even more minutes, uh, but you have to kick out somebody and Ty Jerome was the one to the curb. And I'll tell you what, I said that if I had to pick between... Trey, Teo, and Ty, I would probably put Teo and Trey in and leave Ty Jerome out. That's exactly what happened in this game. So for me to complain about it, it's probably not my place because this is what I asked for. It happened, uh, but Ty Jerome is a consistent benefactor to this team. He's going to get you threes, and if not, he's going to give you assists, and they needed both of them, and really, they needed three-point shooting. I'd take Ty Jerome over Teo and Trey Mann at this point when it comes to catch and shooting, and I'd probably take him over the majority of guys who got to play in this game. So just like Poku, this was a better fit situation for uh, Ty Jerome to be playing, and maybe he already knew he wasn't in the rotation. I would be heated though. He probably deserved to play something, but you can't just pass it around. You already played really everybody. The only guys who didn't play were Muscala, Jerome, and Gabrielle Deck. So you already went out for 12 guys. That's a pretty big rotation as is. But Ty Jerome's a very good player. He didn't. He needs minutes. I was going to say he deserves. No, he needs minutes. Uh, he didn't get it. And this was something that we didn't have to run into just yet because in preseason, that's where you give SGA 19, 20 minutes. Same goes with Lou Dort. They don't need to be playing the full 30 minutes meal right like you can get away with that and you can play five maybe even six guards if you want to but now you get to the regular season and honestly you gotta run a four guard rotation you can't really cut it with five the only way you can do that is if you move josh giddy up to the three but then again you gotta think about it what's gonna happen with lou dort what's gonna happen with other guys kenrich williams is a good example he was great last season he earned every single second and he probably deserved more he played 16 minutes in this game. He deserves 16 minutes a game. He's going to be great on any team because he impacts it on both sides of the ball. But now it turns into a competition of not even a positional thing. Just who is a more valuable asset in the future? And it's going to be a hard breakdown because you're going to leave Ty Jerome out who is very, very good and would be 
actually a pretty good bench player for a playoff team anyways so they had to make that brutal cut i think that ty jerome will probably get minutes in the next one now who gets the short end of the stick it's probably teo because he played bad but teo was very good last year he was one of the better passers and he might be a better distributor than trey mann is right now and for trey mann if he plays like garbage for three four games in a row do you now move him below teo there's just not a lot of space not any wiggle room really for these guys unless there's an injury that pops up or you start moving people to the okc blue but if trey man continues to play at a high level you're not gonna put him down to the okc blue and for guys like ty jerome they're not really gonna have a place in the rotation so there was a really hard time i'm assuming when it came down to who's gonna play where rotationally it does suck because since you have all these young pieces and you're all about growing you need to play them all but you can't run out with an a team and a b team adam silver is gonna cut you off right then and there you can't be doing that you know you're looking to be rebuilding the process is in place um, but you can't make it that obvious right you're gonna have uh, scott van pelt talking about you for the next nine months and probably even more teams um and media outlets just talking about you so they'll have to narrow this down i don't know how you narrow it down though i think the only real thing that i wasn't happy with was darius basely playing 31 minutes i think that you might want to dwindle that down give him like 25 give that to poku get poku to 22 23 minutes maybe even put it so basely you know, he's getting the same minutes as Pokashevsky. And then you look at other players. Kenrich Williams is a beast. I want to see Kenrich Williams, but is he going to be there in the next year or two? I don't know. He's on a two-year, $4 million contract. It's one of the best in the NBA. Maybe you flip him at the trade deadline. Maybe you try doing something with him now. Maybe you do something with Ty Jerome. Maybe you do something with Teo. Um, but there's just too many really solid project pieces on this team and for a guy like Kenrich he's not a project Ty Jerome's really not a project either I don't even know if I'd consider Teo a project um, Trey Mann is but you picked him in the first round he has a lot of potential that you need to tap out uh, you just have to spread the minutes accordingly and even for a guy like Isaiah Roby he only got 14 minutes maybe Derek Favors gets ousted he played 20 minutes but then you straight up don't have a center again you know and they need a center in order to make this season go through smoothly and this was an overreaction by me of course Mark Dagnall and everybody else they probably are really honed in on the rotation they probably talked to everybody about how this system will work I don't know a thing about it and we're gonna see the new rotation for Friday's matchup against the Houston Rockets and that's where we're going to see really the Thunder at its best form you can't make a real sample out of this one because I think it's going to be completely different in terms of how we see the team being utilized there better be more than eight cuts in the next one there definitely will be and hopefully there's going to be a lot more precision from three-point land but anyways guys that is going to do it for today's episode I thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all next time See ya.